This is the Front Page Podcast from the Red and Black. I'm your host, Asia McDonald. In this episode, I'm sitting down with David Parker, lawyer and UGA PhD student to discuss students knowing their rights when it comes to protesting and voicing their opinion as the political season starts. Support for the podcast is provided by the Cox Institute for Journalism, Innovation, Management, and Leadership. For more information, visit grady.uga.edu slash Cox Institute. Welcome to the show, David. Thank you for joining me in the podcast studio. Thank you so much. I'm happy to be here. I'm glad. First, I want you to tell us a little bit about yourself and your journey to the University of Georgia. Well, my name is David Parker, uh, and I'm a current Ph.D. student in the history department, and I'm studying American legal history, legal history and constitutional history. And that comes from an interest previously when I practiced law in Mississippi, uh, which you can probably tell from the deep southern accent. And also, at the same time, taught a pre-law constitutional law class uh, at a university in Mississippi and really fell in love with the subject uh, and wanted to continue to pursue it. So this is a great episode to have. It's really timely, especially as social justice movements continue um, to advance across the country and the election is also coming up. So it's really important for students to know what their protest rights are. That is that is very true. I feel like UGA is just now getting woken up, especially with some of the I wasn't here at the time at UGA during the 2020 when they were having their Black Lives Matter movement or their women's rights movement um, protest in downtown. But I feel like especially now seeing a lot more left wing protesters on campus that people are starting to get woken up and like wanting to see are wanting to have their voices heard and they don't really know exactly how to do that especially as a student you know some people are like oh i'm only seeing one side on campus but i'm not seeing the other side mm-hmm. like can i be that other side mm-hmm. so i think i want to i want us to start off with you providing an overview of key rights and protections that students have when expressing their opinions or engaging in political activities on campus what does that look like of course so the place to start the conversation is always the first amendment you know it you love it and it was so important to the framers they made it number one So it encompasses a number of rights. You've heard of some free exercise of religion, petition to the government against grievances, freedom of the press. The one that most concerns our conversation today is the freedom of assembly. Mm -hmm. In other words, the freedoms to assemble and protest and address those concerns that you may have without fear of interference from the government. So this affects colleges and universities, public ones, because those are extensions of the government. They receive tax dollars. They're publicly supported. So colleges and universities are subject to First Amendment limitations in the same way that true government entities might be. So it starts there. Um, These rights all deal in the First Amendment and are lumped together because they deal with your self-expression, your matters of conscience, those things that the framers felt were really important for defining and expressing your own sense of identity and viewpoints without fear of reprisal. So um, we, broadly speaking, start from the premise that colleges and universities can't discriminate on the basis of viewpoint. They can have rules, which we'll sort of talk about and unpack, I think, in the podcast. They can have rules that limit the time and manner of expressive protest, but those rules have to be content neutral and cannot be applied on the basis of viewpoint, whether the administrator likes it or doesn't like it. Um, And as long as they hold to that sort of general principle, that is what's most important constitutionally speaking. 
Okay, so what does that mean for a student that has not studied pre-law or knows nothing about it? It may go over their head. They're like, oh, he, he sounds really good. <laughs> I understand what he's saying. I get bits and pieces. But what, is that, what does that mean for the everyday student just going, I just want to protest. I just want to say my rights and, and speak. What does that mean? Absolutely. You know I slip into lecture mode. So basically, you can protest. Mm-hmm. You don't even have to have a permit, generally speaking, in public open places on a college, university, or campus. While you can do that, and you are not limited in the views that you express, it might be true that they can limit you to certain uh, times and manners of protest in the interest of larger institutional concerns like public safety or potential violence. So here's the capstone. You have the right to protest, but the right isn't unlimited. And what the law is always trying to do is balance students' individual First Amendment rights with the larger concerns of facilitating and fostering a smooth process in education on a college or university's campus. And sometimes that's case by case, but that's the balance that we're living in. Okay, so what you, when you say in the interest of public safety and stuff like that, so what if it happens, there happens to be, you know, let's just put this scenario out there, 20 students in the middle of the quad at what is it i'm trying to think of what's the middle of what's the middle of the fishbowl called mlc by mlc mm-hmm. let's just say by mlc and then you get you get some professors coming out there saying you know like this is a little bit of a disruption the disruption you guys need to go to class we don't want you out here are they infringing on those students rights or are they allowed to stay there it it's that's possible so it's going to be a matter of whether or not in someone's estimation on campus the protest becomes disruptive and so in the moment they may be able to disperse a protest because it seems disruptive or it's loud or interfering with class activities and if they can substantially prove that after the fact right then that will probably be held to be a legally legitimate reason for that particular protest at that time to have been halted Um, however again there is no blanket prohibition on the ability of students to protest, generally speaking. Whether or not a protest becomes um, too loud or um, disruptive is sort of a case-by-case consideration. Okay. And so I I wanted you to dive in a little bit deeper when it comes to what are some of the misconceptions or misunderstanding when it comes to students having certain rights to protest and voice their opinion in an educational setting. Yeah, it's a little bit of what we've talked about, but just understanding there is a misconception that the First Amendment gives me the right to say anything I want all the time without any fear of intrusion, and no right is unlimited. It would be really dangerous if every right was unlimited, right? Because we all have to live together in a society. (laughs) So the right isn't unlimited, and the free speech right on campus can be subject to certain rules. And often those kinds of rules uh, are speech codes or um, disciplinary conduct rules that are found in student handbooks, for example, or university policies and procedure manuals. Um, But as I said, those rules that limit the ability of protest or or define the parameters of it have to be content neutral. So they can limit time and manner and even place as long as they are applied evenly. So in other words, it isn't content neutral if a school official has discretion to edit or alter or, or apply those content neutral policies or those restrictions by considering the viewpoint that is being advanced. So like, for example, if there is a designated meeting space on campus, a a campus, a public forum, 
and it goes by different names designated for them. Um, free speech zone campuses have set aside certain spots in some cases. Um, if that spot is normally open, say Monday through Friday from 9 to 5, um, and in the past, say the college Republicans have used it, or, you know, just to make it unbiased, college Democrats, right? If one of those affiliations has used it during those allotted hours without interruption, the other group should be able to do the same thing, right? And if the group can make a showing that the prohibition is because of the view they are advancing, then that is potentially a First Amendment problem. Otherwise, the rule should always apply evenly to different groups of people. I agree, but I want to I want to unpack content neutral. What exactly do you mean by content neutral? Do, like, is it something that the students are expressing, or what exactly does that mean? In other words, the rules have to be written. Whatever the university or college, generally speaking, comes up with, it has to be a limitation that is not based on viewpoint and doesn't inject that into the equation of whether or not someone decides that they should be able to protest. In other words, the rules have to be completely disassociated from viewpoints. In other words, their views and rules, sorry, their rules about where and when and how you can protest. And that institution has to be able to make a showing that those rules are for the larger goal of the institution's smooth operation and preventing intimidation or harassment or violence or interruptions to school activity that are so substantial that the school simply can't function. So the rules have to be connected to that larger goal because, again, it's about the balance between individual student rights and uh, the school's interest in maintaining a working educational environment. I completely understand now. How do you think students should navigate any potential conflict when it comes to university policy. Say that they don't fall into a content-neutral subject matter or the way that they think that they're going about something is not exactly how they should be according to the handbook. So it, the just as the content-neutral label has to apply to the institution, not necessarily what they express, right? In other words, it wouldn't be much of a protest if you had to keep your views completely neutral. So that limitation is on the school. I think the best advice and guidelines or best practices is to be organized. So, in other words, if you know a protest is scheduled and you have organized it, the more advanced work you can do, the smoother this is going to go. Now, this is not even just with regard to the First Amendment. It's just an organizational principle for life. So, trying to get a sense of how many people are planning to attend can help you figure out whether a certain location on campus is adequate to meet those needs. Because for example, if you are unprepared, expect 50 people, <laughs> and because you haven't tried to solicit kind of any information about how many people are interested, 500 people show up, then the space that you may have picked may suddenly, perhaps rightly, in an institution's view, become unsuitable for a protest because of, say, fire codes or other things. It could be disruptive because you've spilled over off the grass into a sidewalk and you've blocked pedestrian traffic, and that is an instance where something could be feasibly said to be disruptive. So the easiest way to, to, to prevent all that is to work as hard as you can in advance to have a clear expectation of what the protest is going to look like. And even in doing that, even not even just the attendance, but it even encompasses what your form of expression is going to look like. Look at signs 
or say you want to have a vigil with candles, right? If you know those things in advance, you can take that to the appropriate resource on campus and say, hey, I'm scheduled, we're, we're going to do this. Again, you don't need the school's permission, being clear, but you can clarify some things that you're not sure about based on a reading of the policy because it's written in legalese and that's not meant to be confusing, but it there is some legalese that's involved in this issue. So organization up front can help you work with administration on facilitating a protest that is organized in advance. Not to make my answer too long, but there also are instances where protest can be relatively spontaneous, right? There is a current event that happens, something pops up, people want to get together and express their support or disapproval, as it may be. Universities also allow for that. They allow for spontaneous protest. You don't, for example, need a permit for that either. But the same kind of rules about um, balancing free speech and limiting disruption are going to apply. Um, so though you can have a spontaneous type protest, the lack of organization on the front end, generally speaking, might put you more in jeopardy of, say, accidentally running up against a disruption rule that might serve to limit the nature of the protest. Thank you. Yeah, going on to that, when you talk about organization, are there any ethical or legal boundaries that a student, that a student should be aware of when exercising their rights of freedom of speech or protesting on campus? Absolutely. So here's a misconception. I could have put this in the other answer, too. Just because you are seizing on to the shield of the First Amendment does not give you immunity from other bad behavior. Mm -hmm. So you are still responsible as a protest group or protester for the destruction of property or harming others. You can never incite violence or your speech cannot encourage violence on multiple grounds. That sort of harassment, intimidation speech is generally outside the protections of the First Amendment. And on a more narrow level, it's disruptive to school operations to threaten harm to individuals on a campus, right? So you are responsible for your own extra-legal, shall we say, bad behavior that you engage in for your protest. So that's one misconception. Again, that's the, the idea that the right is not limited. No advocating of violence, no destruction of property. The First Amendment also doesn't protect obscene speech, and that is just sort of a common term, but it also has a lot of legal meaning. There are Supreme Court cases that try to parse out what is and isn't, and I'm using air quotes, obscene. And that's different to all of us. I think we all have different standards about what we see in public that is obscene. But if it is shocking enough to the conscience, say pornography, for example, or something explicit or offensive in that way, then that is not going to be subject and proper for a billboard or sign that you might make. And so that is something that you also, even if you don't run up against legal or protective concerns about that, just ethically, is your protest effective if you are advancing images like that? Last point, you are also um, allowed to display hate symbols in a public place. Constitutionally speaking, right, in a public place, those symbols, which can be for freedom of expression, can be shown. 
However, if it tips into the territory of violence or harassment or those sorts of things, that can be cause to limit or obstruct that sort of protest. Um, but um, you should consider, of course, the ethical implications of what you're doing, um, and that can be important. You know, if the speech is truly um, horrible in that way, um, organize a counter-protest. <laughs> Remember, spontaneous, spontaneous activity can be allowed, you know, so as long as you keep things civil, you don't yourself, as a counter-protest resort to violence. I generally think that the best way to combat ugly speech is with better speech, right? The First Amendment also protects speech that we don't like. If it didn't, then the First Amendment would become discretionary, specific, um, and that's no good. We don't want it to bad precedent, even if it limits someone that we like, or we want, I'm sorry, even if it limits someone that we like to see being limited, that can serve as bad legal precedent to limit other forms of speech that we do like. So I'm giving you a long answer, but there are concerns and ethics, not just legal concerns in thinking about how you protest that are important to consider. Are there any resources or organizations that students should turn to for support and guidance when it comes to unpacking legal assistance if they believe that their rights or the speech that they have done or the protest on campus has violated some some section of the handbook that they're not aware of, but they think they done they think that they did everything to the book? Sure. So th this actually this actually comes up on case by case bases in the law. You know, we don't have a perfect litmus test for this balance between individual free speech rights on campus and the, and the larger goals of an institution. So we're always, I'm saying that to say we're always dealing with parsing out what is and isn't appropriate under the First Amendment. Okay, so if you have questions, there are a couple of organizations that um, are excellent resources. Uh, I am not one. This is just purely off the cuff, but there are some good ones. The ACLU has a long and storied history um, of protecting free speech rights on campus for students. Um, the ACLU has even gotten pushback over its long history for protecting speech from terrible groups. The ACLU has even protected Klan rallies, right? And even <laughs> though that's offensive and none of us want to see those, right? The idea is that the First Amendment has to protect even unpopular and terrible speech, right, for the First Amendment to mean anything. So the ACLU is, is, is deeply entrenched in considering these kinds of issues on and off of a campus. So they have a national chapter. They have local and state chapters. Uh, the Internet, of course, is always an easy place to start. Um, there is another group called the Foundation for Individual Rights and Expression, Fire, uh, that is also uniquely geared to student speech on campus. Uh, they have a lot of great online resources that seem to be pretty thorough um, that are worth looking at. Uh, there is a, this is a little more amorphous, there is a uh, 2014 document called the Chicago Statement that was put out by the University of Chicago that is generally considered to be a foundational touchstone document about the goals of speech on campus and some broad 
hopes and ambitions for speech on campus. For example, it says uh, this particular statement guarantees, quote, all members of the university community the broadest possible latitude to speak, write, listen, challenge, and learn, with exceptions only for narrowly defined categories of unlawful expression like defamation and harassment. So I bring that long quote up to say that those broad mission statements have been adopted by lots of colleges and institutions since 2014 as a working guide for what their rules and policy should look like. So reference to that document, just with a simple Google search, is also interesting. It's probably less institution-specific, or if it is institution-specific, it's specific to the University of Chicago, but it's worth looking at. Um, and then lastly, truly, colleges and universities want to promote safe platforms for discourse. Any college and university worth its salt should actively facilitate and take pride in the effort of fostering an education that considers points of view and gives students the analytical, ethical, cultural resources to decide what is worth hearing and listening to and what is worth challenging. So I say that to say your own institution and those offices of student life, for example, are worth talking to about clarification for content-neutral rules that seem unclear. I agree. Thank you for telling us more about that. I want to turn the dime because not all students feel comfortable protesting in person. So what happens when it comes to students that are protesting certain, like, when the decision I, I saw on social media when it came to UGA's response to the affirmative action, there were certain students that were for it. There were certain students against it. So what do you say for those students that, like, their platform of choice when it comes to protesting is social media, which can go to – which could have a different mm -hmm. – out, which can have a different view depending on who sees it and can reach a lot more people than them just coming on campus? Sure. The law is still thinking about what to do with social media in, in some ways. Um, there are – Federal court decisions that implicate the First Amendment and, and an institution's um, discipline of social media speech by students that cut both ways. So I'm speaking broadly here because we could find specific examples for different fact-specific instances. But broadly speaking, uh, there is, for example, a 2021 case in which a, a, a student posted um, something against the, the school. It was kind of went viral, for lack of a better term, in her own community. It was widely discussed at school. The court up, upheld her protest of being punished, <laughs> individual <laughs> backlash, said that she couldn't be punished for a decision that was, or a post that was made off campus, outside school hours, even if it was discussed widely at the school. So, now that being said, that is a fact-specific decision. It concerns the nature of her specific post, who all was discussing it, when she posted, right? So the facts change the legal outcome that you get. But I'm offering that to say, if the school doesn't have any connection to a social media post made after hours outside campus, that is, generally speaking, going to be harder to limit than a post that is made with more ties to the institution. 
what you do on your own is different from what you do under the umbrella of campus. I feel like we covered the foundation for students when it comes to knowing their rights, what are their rights. Do you feel like we left anything out of the conversation to give them just to plant a seed to start looking into any of the topics that we talked about if they want to have a social justice type of career during their college stint or just to even get more politically engaged as the season starts to ramp up? The, this is where history lessons can be interesting. History recognizes, and we can point to some specific examples, where student, student movements on colleges and university have changed us all infinitely for the better. For example, the civil rights movement, a huge outgrowth of it was student protest on campus and student groups that got together on campuses and started organizing sit-ins to protest racist business owners who would kick them out, right? So student movements can change history. Vietnam is another example. Part of what made the Vietnam War become so unpopular was the discontent that came from students on campus. So this topic is not just important for the particular issue that we might care about, but is important under a historical examination too. It matters. So, and I'll even do you another example. So there's a Supreme Court case from 1957. I'm, I hate to read quotes on air, but I'm going to read it anyway. It was by the Chief Justice at the time, Earl Warren, and it was a case that dealt with speech on campus, and he said, scholarship cannot flourish in an atmosphere of suspicion and distrust. So, Teachers and students must always remain free to inquire, to study, to evaluate, to gain maturity and understanding, or otherwise our civilization will stagnate and die, which is a high-minded ideal, but part of that study and evaluation and maturity and understanding process is considering views, whether deciding whether or not they hold merit, and acting accordingly. But those views should be allowed to be expressed so that that idea can be considered, right? Um, so, as a final kind of thought, the balance is always between individual rights and the student's concerns about institutional safety and fostering classes <laughs> and making sure that things operate smoothly. Those decisions, depending on the facts, can go either way. But broadly speaking, institutions are willing to make sure that they have content-neutral rules that allow for speech to be presented by all members of a community. Thank you so much, Mr. Parker, for sharing your expertise when it comes to this subject matter. I hope I enjoyed this discussion, and I hope our audience enjoys this discussion as well. This has been The Front Page. The Front Page is a production of the Red and Black Publishing Company. Make sure to download our app and keep up with us on social media. Don't forget to check out our other weekly podcast, Between the Headphones, a UGA sports podcast. We hope to see you next week.